Good afternoon. It is two o'clock, September the 22nd, Saturday afternoon. I'm Leon Davis, and I want to thank you very much for joining me this afternoon. Um, there are two branches of uh, economics. There's microeconomics and macroeconomics. Uh, macroeconomics, which is what I'll be talking about today, deals with the econ uh, with economics on the national level. Now, economics is an attempt to solve a problem, and that topic is coming up right now. Welcome to Altitude, Altitude. Adjustment. Again, thank you for joining me. Now, the free market system, also known as the market economy, has ex existed in different stages since the beginning of man. When communities were small, it was easy to trade goods and services with your neighbor. Uh, that became more complex as communities grew, and so there became a need to find a way to understand and deal with that. Now, the free markets are where people voluntarily trade economic goods and services, and it has been a natural progress uh, for social coordination rather than a series of discoveries, although it wasn't until 1000 BCE that metallic coins were manufactured in China and became the first known example of a good that functioned only as money. Now, in 1980, Ronald Reagan was elected and brought with him a less supported economic policy that was starkly different than the established policies that were popular at the time. His economic policy had four main parts. One, to reduce the growth of government spending Two, reduce the federal income tax and capital gains tax to reduce government regulation and tighten the money supply. Now, this economic policy was referred to by several different names, including Reaganomics, supply side economics and voodoo economics. Now, macroeconomics macro is an attempt to solve some of the major challenges in the market system. Now, the, there, one of the uh, popular economic theories at the time was classical economics, uh, which is uh, classical economists believe that the market is self-regulating, that it will achieve a natural balance between prices, wages, demand, and production. Uh, after the Great Depression, after the stock market crash of 1929, um, uh, John Keynesian, John Keyes, uh, put to, put a theory out. It's called the Keynesian economics, and Keynesian economics is a belief that government plays a role in balancing uh, prices, wages, and the demand and production. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, so. After Ronald Reagan came in, he, because uh, the, the country used Keynesian as a standard after the, the great stock market crash. In the 80s, when Reagan took office and brought forth the supply side economics, it was considered um, uh, not, not only not tested, but um, a bad um, economic theory, which is why it received the title voodoo economics and there's a little more to wh why that happened and in this discussion i am probably oversimplifying um 
economics. It, it is a lot more complicated than that, how they um, formulate um, what actions to be taken, how it's going to impact um, the economy and how to measure results. But supply side economics <clears throat> supports business and allows business to regulate prices, wages, production, and demand. Now, in the early days of, of economy, people trading goods and, and services, it was pretty easy. Um, you just create a basic one-on-one -on -one relationship and you trade goods and services. Now, as communities grew and um, goods and services the number of goods and services offered, that all changed and trading became much more complicated. So if you had, <clears throat> if you had corn and you needed meat and you needed, you could, uh, somebody you, you wanted to trade with um, had, uh, I don't know, fabric, um, or I'm sorry, the, you wanted to, trade trade with they needed fabric you needed meat uh they didn't have that so you had to wind up making a three-way trade in order for you to get what you needed and for them to get what they needed so as you can see as society grew and needs change uh that becomes much more complicated and so um then the theories of economics or how to best allow business or create an environment where business serves the common good, where um, goods and services benefit the community as a whole. And, and you can see why that's important, especially on a national level, um, for a society to function well, they must cooperate. And that is definitely a form of cooperation. <laughs> so uh, without getting too, too deep into um, supply and demand, um, everyone can understand that um, if you needed something, so so um, so the free market system, let's go back that way. The free market system says, um, leave it up, rather than have the government determine um, what goods and services are available, you leave it up to the citizens to create uh, uh, and distribute uh, and exchange goods and services and create jobs um, for their market, for their for their product. So if if I created a product or there's a demand for a product, um, a widget, and it takes me um, two people to create that widget and bring it to market. So. So the community needs a widget. Um, the supplier then creates jobs to um, produce that widget. Those jobs then create additional requests for more widgets. And so the, the supply side gets, uh, they're able to grow, they're able to provide the goods and services that the community needs and the community can afford those because they are working 
and helping to create uh, the supply of the things that that they demand. Uh, so that's kind of a, a rudimentary basic idea of um, economics. Now, um, Ronald Reagan brought forth the idea that, uh, or I say he brought forth, he, he helped make that um, a part of our national um, economic policy that allowing, giving more to business owners, in other words, uh, cutting their taxes, making sure that they had, that they were cared for, that they would somehow do the right thing. So there's the assumption that uh, good people will do the right thing for the benefit of the common good. Now, we can point to example after example where maybe that isn't playing out as he had expected. Um, and so when we've at this point uh, gone back to that uh, with the, the current president uh, in office, uh, pushing through that large uh, tax break and squashing a lot of regulations, you know, we've we've <clears throat> gone back to that ideology and um, one particular uh, political party in our society has for has since that the Reagan era pushed for these tax less taxes on um, business owners on the supply side. Um, and I have not been comfortable with the arguments that were made for the reason for the for this to happen. So if we have a if we have a system of shared interests and you assist one side of the scale more than you assist the other, is it possible for things to balance out? And, and that to me is the question. If you only deal with one side of the scale, can you balance the scale that way? So in business, business, one of the things that I am concerned about when um, assisting just business, <clears throat> business is, comes inherent with risk. That means you can overproduce. You can um, not get the right labor force necessary to produce your product. So, so there are a lot of risks associated with the business. Now, the attempt to mitigate that risk by forces outside of the company, such as when government attempts to help business avoid those risks, my belief is that government is then at that point picking the winners and losers in society. If you have a free market system where, uh, and, and Keynesian economists are, are staunch supporters of competition because competition helps balance that scale because it allows um, downward pressure on 
on prices, upward pressure on labor, on on on, um, on uh, wages, and um, better management of supplies and resources by eliminating all of the regulations and and helping uh, businesses in times of trouble. Uh, and we can we can point to <clears throat> a, a recent instance in 2008 when the financial sector um, made bets that were risky and negatively impacted um, society on a, on a grand scale. And the government then um, supported business, supported the side of businesses, believing that um, by not allowing these businesses to experience the pain of their mistakes, that it was best for society as a whole. Um, so they, they took away the risk. Now, uh, one of the things that uh, I've heard, you, you may have heard people talk about is that um, risk, uh, reward is privatized and risk is public, is, becomes a public domain so that they didn't have to suffer through completely through their mistakes and necessarily learn from that. Um, I think risk in business is good. Um, one of the things about risk is that if you believe or if you know that you can lose your business, if you become lax, if you if you don't um, pay attention to your customer, if you are not aware of changes in uh, the supply chain and, um, and and the way people are uh, want to do business and the products that they want to use, then then you as a business will fail. And, and that's what that risk is. So the risk to me is it allows businesses that don't do the right things to be removed from the public trading um, sphere and that the stronger businesses are going to be the ones that adapt and do what is necessary to achieve stability. If you remove that risk, then companies that do not do all of the necessary hard work of paying attention to customers, paying attention to supplies, paying attention to long-term um, um, long um, I don't want to say prognostications, but a long-term um, changes in the market. If they don't do that, um, then, then how do you justify keeping that business in place? That management uh, or business owner is not doing what is necessary to make sure that they're meeting the needs of society, of the common good of society. So what you could wind up having is a company that um, is in business for themselves, make sure that they get what they need and are not meeting the needs of the, the, the community that they serve. So competition 
and risk are two other sides of the ledger that keep that are there to keep businesses from becoming lax, from becoming comfortable in and the space that they're in and not innovating for the future and not um, and not paying attention to um, their customers. Uh, what, what you have noticed, what I have noticed recently is that there are a lot more websites or a lot when I visit websites, there are a lot more um, requests for for you to take a survey so that they can get feedback from you about how they're doing. Um, that used to be handled when we had storefronts. Uh, that used to be handled right inside the building, right? And, you know, when you go in and you purchase something, there was somebody there to make sure you got what you needed. And, and you could see some some stores. I was in a, um, uh, um, uh, what am I thinking? Uh, Office Depot, or not Office Depot. Um, uh, so it's, it's a competitor to Lowe's. But um, anyway, I was, I was in, um, Oh, the name jumps me. So, but I was in recently, you know, uh, somebody's there and they see me come through the door. If I look like I'm looking for something, can I help you? You know, can I get you there? And that kind of um, initial customer contact uh, gives you an opportunity to know if you are serving the needs of your customers. So for a long time, they, they, they are cutting, um, floor staff to save on um, salaries. Um, so, because one of the big deals, things that um, companies have to deal with is burgeoning um, salaries. And so to maintain maybe a profit or a better profit, they cut floor staff. When you cut that staff or when you, even when you automate, because automate can, automation can do the same thing. You, you basically separate yourself from the customer and you become a, a large kiosk. So you have a store or um, uh, a website or whatever the case may be. You're, you're offering products and you don't have customer contact. You don't have um, someone engaging your customer, engaging the customer to determine if they're um, getting what they need, if they're finding what they came to find or even tell them about something else that may be beneficial for them. If you're not, if the company is not providing that, then they're losing touch with their customers. And that has happened uh, a lot and it happened for a long period of time. And so now a, a lot of companies are trying to get back into making that connection with their customers and understanding what their customers needs are, how they can meet those needs and uh, determining how to best move forward with their business so that they can continue to meet the, the demands of the, the population so that there becomes this um, mutual benefit in the relationship so that it's not just one-sided. So you're not just pulling profits out of the system without putting back into the system uh, what the customer customers are um, need. Uh, so I think to me, risk is a, an essential part of that. And I think supply side economics tries to remove that risk to 
give companies a level of security that um, I think is detrimental to the the balancing of the scales between um, supply and demand. Um, now, uh, so part of the discussion about taxes, um, so they, they cut the taxes for um, businesses in this last um, tax cut. And the difficulty I have with that is if you if you truly believe that this is a strategy, that if you allow uh, business to be the uh, arbiter of all of the wages and um, supply and demand uh, if, if there then um, then there wouldn't be any need to recover that tax um, break that you gave so so the federal budget is made up of in, of taxes paid so the Republicans and uh, president number 45, provided a tax cut then to cover that tax cut they eliminated um, wage increase for federal workers they eliminated regulations now I know regulations is supposedly a part of that um, ideology or that economic policy, but by eliminating the um, eliminating the regulations, you don't you can you can cut from the budget those uh, agencies that are tasked with enforcing those regulations. So that brings some of the tax responsibility down. So they they, they did that at the same time. Now, this was before any realization of the tax um, plan or tax policy actually starting to work, actually starting to um, produce the kind of job economic growth that they believed that it would. Now, um, there, you, there is some argument, uh, quite a bit of argument, actually, as to how uh, effective version one was under Ronald Reagan. Um, so without any, any further proof that, that this tax plan worked because it created massive debt that uh, under Ronald Reagan, massive debt, debt that we had never seen as a country was created. And that's not what it was supposed to happen, but that's what did happen. And so doing round two of that um, without any data that says that's going to be different. We're going to it. There's every reason to believe that it's going to happen again. And we can see attempts to uh, 
um, cut cut taxes someplace else. Um, so now we have the tariffs. Okay, and I don't know if you know how tariffs works, but tariffs is a, is a duty placed on goods and services um, brought into the country, and that the government gets a chunk off the top. Okay, so so a company ships items in they they order supplies from china and they order goods from china okay those goods are uh have a, a higher tariff on them and um it's basically considered a tax i, he I heard one uh, financial analyst you know call it say this is basically a tax and it's basically a tax because um it does not increase the profit margin margin of the company. So it goes directly from. Um, so when the, when the it, it directly attached to the goods when they arrive and then goes to the federal government. So the, the company does not get any benefit from that. Um, so it looks like to me. That this tariff fight is an attempt or can be an attempt to not realize the debt going to be created by the tax cuts. So if, if the, you cover some of the cover, some of the taxes lost by the tax cut, over the next two years, Trump will be, if Trump is out of office, then the, the debt balloons because of the loss of tax revenue, it is not blamed on probably Trump. Maybe there might be a few voices yelling that, but it can be blamed on the next administration. If the realization does not happen that this tax cut spurs economic growth, which in turn spurs um, tax receipts. Um, we could see uh, we could see public debt balloon once again, uh, as it did under the um, Reagan administration. One of the things that I think is important is that, um, <clears throat> so as I said, the supply side is it, it basically gives business owners the license to determine economic policy. They get to determine what they want to produce. They get to determine um, companies that, that don't, um, aren't totally responsive to uh, the, the general population could, in fact, be in business longer than they should be um, because they may be, uh, you can eliminate um, competition. Um, what we've seen is a lot of mergers and acquisitions and the government has attempted to uh, maintain um, a level playing field. 
eliminate those rules and regulations and some of that competition goes away. Um, so again, I said uh, supply side is about picking winners and losers. Um, I talked about the lack of regulation. Just going through my list of things here that uh, that I wanted to cover. Uh, I talked about the government um, trying to recover some of that um, money that they gave or that they cut out of the the budget when they gave these tax cuts, these tax breaks. Um, they're trying to pick that up on the backs of um, just the average consumers. They're trying to spread that loss over the, the entire national um, um, econ, econ, economy. So there's, they're, they're trying to spread that around so that it's not as stark. So that hopefully, and I'm, I'm, my guess is here that they're trying to buy time, is that they believe that these tax cuts are going to spur growth and that will replace though that money lost from the budget um, by the new tax dollars. I'm not optimistic about that. Um, I, I think um, it, it's quite pop. Well, I don't say that. We've seen supply side economics version one. We saw the results of that. I, I don't think supply, uh, uh, supply side economics version two is going to be any different. Um, unfortunately, um, it's, it's, I think it's a little more difficult to focus on that now as we have so many um, non-important issues becoming the topic of things. Um, so hopefully we can get back to um, looking at looking at the dollars and cents of government and how to make it best work for everyone and not have government pick winners and losers, but actually be more of a um, more of a guard against imbalancing of the, the scales. I'm not saying uh, I want government to put its finger on the scale uh, for one side or another to balance it, but find a way for government to um, work effectively to protect both sides of the scale. I don't believe, and I'm going to say this with an asterisk, I don't believe that there is a bad, a, a job killing regulation. Keep in mind that regulations are created to protect, to protect the, uh, protect the citizens of the country. So if a producer or a, a, a business wants to um, create a product and the, and the byproduct of that, for creating that product contaminates water, um, the business owner may see that as um, the cost of creating his product. Uh, I've got people that want to buy my product. It's going to kill several people, but I can still, you know, I, I don't have, they don't have any incentive necessarily to 
um, find a different production method if the government is not making sure, if the government is not there protecting um, other consumers from a lack of um, accountability by um, bad management. So I don't think leaving um, businesses to their own devices is in the best interest of the common good. I'm going to wrap this up today. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, I left out the word voodoo economics because uh, I had a, in my original text, I had left it in there quite a bit. Um, but I do want to have a conversation uh, be about um, finding answers and solutions and not being about um, throwing stones. Um, I do appreciate you listening in today. You have an opportunity to join the conversation every Saturday at two o'clock. Uh, if you'd like to find out how, please visit my website. And I want to thank you again for being here. Now that concludes this episode of uh, Altitude Adjustment. And the video podcast is available on YouTube. Just do a YouTube search for Lion's Den STL. The audio podcast is available on Stitcher.com, Anchor.fm, the iTunes Store, and the Google Music Play Store. Please consider supporting this podcast by visiting Anchor.fm slash Altitude-Adjustment2. The internet is powered by your likes, shares, and comments. So please, like, share, and comment on this and other episodes, because it matters. As always, be cool, be calm, but above all, be careful. Look out for the other guy because they may not be looking out for you.